Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please feel free to follow us and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. And of course, if you have any thoughts or comments on what we should cover in a future episode, let us know. Talk with us on Twitter at, at Cisco Champion. All right, so I was today years old when I learned that energy consumption can represent up to 30% of enterprise data center costs. So if optimizing energy is top of mind for you, you might want to stick around as our champions and Cisco subject matter experts discuss the topic of sustainable energy for data centers. We're going to start with introductions and then we're going to get into what I know will be a very informative discussion. All right, here we go. Dan, of course, I'm going to start with you. Always in alphabetical order. <laughs> Who I are you? It. What do you do? I am uh, Dan Sheldon. I'm the principal solutions architect for the East Coast for a West Coast startup called Prosimo, where we focus mostly on multi-cloud networking and zero trust network access. Um, but for those that know me well, I am a huge lover of the environment. Uh, I love climbing mountains and uh, all of the outdoors kind of abilities that exist. So this is a, a very near and dear subject to my heart. In fact, you have a Twitter handle at Sheldon, Sheldon Climes. Climes. That's correct. <laughs> all right, Joe, you're up next. What do you do? Howdy, y'all. I'm Joe Hughes. I am a senior solutions architect at Pure Storage. Uh, I work for basically focusing on all of our technical resources and enablement for partners and customers around FlashStack, which is our joint solution with Cisco Compute, Cisco Networking, and Pure Storage. And I am absolutely uh, interested in all things around sustainability and essentially proper energy use for uh, what we're doing with our data centers going forward. All right, Michael, how are you doing? Good, so yeah, Mike Woody, I am a principal architect at Worldwide Technology. Um, I fo I'm focusing now really on uh, a lot of R&D work um, for various OEMs. So I basically take things that are brand new and I build them into labs and things like that so I can help um, customers as well as the field consume them and use them properly. And again, you know, things like uh, sustainability is, is really big because, you know, it's brand new. A lot of people really haven't heard of it um, and they don't really know what to do with it or how to how to proceed. So this is this is a great um, topic and spot on for timing. All right. Okay. On to Christopher and Usha, our Cisco subject matter experts. Thank you for joining us today. I'm going to start with you, Usha. Can you tell us what you do at Cisco? Absolutely. Thank you, Emily. Hi, everyone. So I'm Usha Andra. I'm the leader uh, of product marketing for the data center networking portfolio uh, on the customer and solutions marketing team. So I'm thrilled to be here today with all of you. Um, and sustainability is top of mind and it's, it is playing a transformational role and will continue to play a transformational role in, in business operations and opening new and emerging markets and opportunities. Uh, and Cisco, you know, continues to develop uh, products and solutions that really enable customers to accelerate their sustainability goals and commitments. So I think, um, you know, Christopher will talk to us about how Cisco has a, has quite an um, ambitious net zero uh, commitment uh, and how we are not just uh, surpassing, uh, trying to surpass our own sustainability goals, but 
uh, also will be helping our customers around the world uh, achieve their goals uh, as well. Uh, one of the things I want to kind of set uh, a backdrop uh, around is that uh, we, you know, as far as innovation uh, around greater sustainability and energy, uh, you know, uh, savings, there was no shortage of it uh, when we kind of announced um, some of the sustainable energy data center networking type of uh, innovations at Cisco Live. Um, and that, you know, key focus, especially around data centers is because they're very, as we all know, energy hungry, um, you know, heat generating uh, data center servers and switches uh, draw up to or beyond 2% uh, of all electricity, um, you know, in the United States uh, alone. And as you mentioned, Amy Lee, I think energy consumption can represent up to 30% um, of data center costs. So, optimizing that energy usage um, is a major concern and should be a major concern for all um, like forward looking um, organizations. So this is gonna be an exciting conversation, uh, not only for like the practitioners and, you know, alone, or also uh, it's at the CXO, CIO level audiences and, you know, energy uh, monitoring and, and sustainability means a lot to a lot of people. So uh, back to you, Amy Lee. <laughs> Wonderful. Sometimes I feel like I live in a data center. It gets pretty hot in here. Oh, you, can hear right. well, you, can, you can hear yourself. So, no, you're not living in a data center. Um, Christopher, on to you. So, I'm Christopher Lillian Stolpe. I'm the Senior Director for Product Management in Data Center Networks here at Cisco. Um, one of my um, product uh, portfolio remits is around sustainability. Uh, and it's it's broadened out to more than just networks uh, because you can't really address this as a siloed thing, right? This is something you have to address as a systemic or holistic thing across the entire data center. So I've, I'm beyond just the network side. It, it stretches into compute and, pow and power and cooling, et cetera, right? Because you can't you can't address this as a as a silo, or you end up with uh, basically a, a, a bunch of um, point solutions that, that don't really solve any problem, which is exactly where we are today. Um, but before that, just to put a little bit of, of uh, context around this, uh, been a service provider chief architect for a couple of very large service providers, including a um, very large one down in Australia in my past life, where I actually explored putting liquid cooling in exchanges because exchanges are really difficult, uh, at least 15 years ago. Uh, to put high density compute into um, because of cooling. So we looked at putting liquid cooling into exchanges, which was a fun and interesting experience. A very large internet backbone, tier zero internet backbone before that, and doing a build out back in the internet boom days, uh, trying to figure out more efficient ways of bringing power around in exchanges. So looking at different DC voltage infrastructures to try and solve battery and copper and other resource constraints so I've been noodling around with DC power and liquid cooling for more decades than I would care to admit. Um, sounds like you you are a very old hat in this, Chris. Um, yeah, the I reason I don't have a beard anymore is my wife decided that I was an old gray beard and I kept on telling her that old gray beard <laughs> is a sign of, 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 of prestige in this industry and she didn't buy it. But uh, before all of that, I was actually network engineer for the US Antarctic program in the 90s when they were down there actually drilling ice cores and pulling the carbon dioxide samples up in the ice cores uh, from the ice sheets in Antarctica 
and listening to the uh, climatologists telling us just how screwed we were going to be uh, in the 1990s. So this is an area of personal interest for me from a very long time ago. And I will tell you, even in Antarctica, heat is one of the things that can kill servers. Uh, and that's a side story over a beer sometime. If anyone ever finds me, I'll be more than happy to tell you how heat can kill servers and data centers in South Pole, Antarctica. Because indeed it can, but that's not a story for here. So Chris, you've got obviously a very long background and it's near and dear to your heart uh, all the way down to the South Pole, right? Um, Oftentimes, uh, I, I tend to talk to a lot of CIOs, CTOs in, in my role, and one of the things that I tend to ask them just based on, you know, what they're seeing in the industry is, are there more initiatives coming for environmental social governance, ESG, um, that kind of thing? And one of the questions that often comes up from them, uh, or statements, I should say, is that uh, some of these vendors are just using it as a sales tactic, you know, they want to buy new, new switches. The real question for for you guys is is how committed is Cisco to environmental sustainability? Um, are you guys passionate about it? I kind of assume based on your background. So uh, obviously, personally, uh, we are, and there's a lot of people in Cisco that personally are, but so is Cisco. Uh, it, it, institutionally, it is. So Cisco has actually this has been a headline issue uh, for the last couple of Cisco lives. We have been tracking this for a very long time, starting at sort of some high level things, and then we'll get down to some solid numbers. Uh, Cisco's uh, supply chain, for example, has been recognized um, internationally as one of the best supply chains in the world, if not the best, in diving into not only our suppliers, but our supplier suppliers, knowing exactly where our sourcing is coming from, where exactly where our materials are coming from and, and how they're being sourced, knowing how we can recycle them. Uh, this brings me to one point. Um, Cisco, for a very long time, and unfortunately, a lot of our customers don't know this exists, unfortunately, is Cisco will take back your our equipment. We will even take back some of our customers' equipment, or our competitors' equipment from our customers at no cost. You take a picture, you fill out a form, we'll come, uh, we'll send you shipping labels, et cetera, we'll pack up, and we will take our equipment back. When we do that, we will recycle, reuse, 99.99% uh, of that equipment. We can do that because we know where our supply chain came from. We know exactly how to recycle that. So that equipment will not end up in the landfill. That takes a lot of investment up front. Cisco is not going to do that. That's not a greenwash. We've made the investment to make sure we can do. So there's a whole bunch of things we can do. We are investing in a whole bunch of circular design uh, where we're designing the equipment so it is easier to do that. We're designing in a whole bunch of reusable packing. Uh, the mountain of cardboard and styrofoam that you mm -hmm. get when you unpack a data center, uh, yeah. we're investing a whole lot right now to make sure that mountain goes away as much as possible. There's a whole bunch of initiatives that are we are undertaking now and going forward. Um, culminating in by 2040, Cisco has committed to a 100% reduction in uh, scope three carbon emissions by 2040, which means if you know what scope one, scope two, scope three is, scope one is the carbon emissions that Cisco emits as a company. Uh, that's going to be reduced. That's already reduced. Uh, scope two is what we emit making our product. Scope three is what our customers emit using our product. For us, that's, I think, 90 plus percent of our emissions uh, is what our customers use in, in our product, using our product. We have committed to reducing them by 100% by 24. Uh, furthermore, we've been committed 
to having that reduced by 90% before we take offset credits to reduce the remaining 10%. And furthermore, we're the first tech company to actually get signed up by the science-based uh, targets initiative to actually have that scientifically measured rather than just sort of going, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're down by 90%. So we're actually going, we're actually being audited to make sure that happens. Now, if you walk backwards from that, if you think about how long our users use our kit, we're saying by 2040, we're gonna have uh, that reduction. We need to start getting equipment into people's hands now that substantially reduces that level of emissions in order to hit those dates. So this is not something that is um, a greenwash. This is something Cisco has committed to at the very highest levels. Uh, and this is being driven down to every single business unit in the company. Every single business unit now has targets as to what are you doing to meet these goals, be it packaging, be it scope three emissions reductions, scope two emissions reductions. Every single bit of, of the business uh, is being driven by this. That's great to hear. Uh, thank you very much for that. So, so is there is there a way like is in some of these like uh, new tools like dashboard and and some of the other ones where we can actually look at what let's say Nexus switches and some of the other switching gear sand devices are actually putting out and then track that over time. So this way, when you know we do get audited, you know, for, for like you said, for scope three type stuff, we can kind of prove that yes, we are reducing that, and and that that data then goes back to Cisco, and you guys can say, hey, you know, we are actually reducing that emissions. Right. So for, for so, go ahead. Yeah, let me start, and then Chris Christopher, I'd love you know definitely to delve into this. Sure. Uh, it's a great question, uh, Mike. I think the first thing is, you know, for to figure out is where our customers are with their footprint and measure any improvements uh, that they're making or backtracking anything that they're doing, right? So, so with that, you know, visibility is really imperative and the foundation for that is good hardware and software telemetry. So with that, you know, Cisco Nexus hardware comes into the picture where we get a lot of that telemetry from the switch in great detail and that is being delivered on the insights uh, service of Nexus dashboard. So capturing uh, those insights into the functions and efficiency of those data centers um, is that critical first step uh, to that end. As I mentioned earlier, uh, there were some important uh, Cisco Live um, announcements that were centered around uh, Nexus dashboard. So uh, Cisco Nexus dashboard for those of you that may not be familiar uh, it's a powerful, uh, intuitive operations and automation platform for data center networking. Uh, it already provides that um, essential visibility um, that is needed to uh, configure, operate, analyze, monitor, you know, optimize, and even uh, secure a little bit, you know, complex networking environments. And moving forward, um, that visibility uh, extends uh, to uh, energy, uh, you know, monitoring management across. Uh, data center networks and um, we also announced the cisco networking cloud um, at cisco live uh, that will also bring in some of these capabilities over time in the future but to start with you know we have that simple 
easy to use interface with Nexus dashboard and insights, uh, a sustainability report that is hosted under the analyze hub uh, of the Nexus dashboard. So with that, you can get a lot of um, granular uh, visibility of energy consumption related costs, uh, you know, carbon emissions, um, you know, the impact to the environment. Um, you can understand, you know, the average cost of the data center at the device level, uh, peaks of consumption, uh, you know, during the course of the month or the day, looking at different top impacting uh, devices. Uh, those are highlighted in the reports as well as the uh, emissions and the source of energy used potentially as well. So, you know, we have a lot of visibility into that and uh, map it into uh, the greenhouse gases uh, of their managed uh, devices. So, um, Christopher, you know, please, you know, share with us <laughs> what enables all of this visibility. We have some very interesting ongoing partnerships. Sure. That we announced at Cisco Live. So, you know, so first of all, we're getting the telemetry directly off the switches. So that that data mm -hmm. is not um, synthetic. We're pulling that data directly off of the switch um, and off of multiple sensors on the switch. So we're getting that data in fairly great detail coming off of the switch, and that's coming into the uh, insights on Nexus dashboard. And so that's across all the modern Nexus line. Before I go into what we've announced, there's also another tool that exists in Cisco, which is a potentially interesting tool for, for some of the customer base out there, is actually a, um, a tool which allows you to take a look that, that right now knows, based on orders that you've made in CCW, what you currently have in your estate uh, and knows the power utilization of that kit. And then can say, based on what you currently have, if you were to replace it with more, more current or more, you know, newer Nexus switches, you know, a like-for-like like kind of replacement, what would your power savings be over time? And therefore, what would your carbon savings and power cost savings be over time based on where you are? And I'll tell you how that works in a second. So you can actually do an A-B comparison. If you keep the current Nexus 7000s that you have, it's going to cost you, this is how much power you're going to use, this is how much your power is going to cost. If you upgrade that with the current Nexus 9000 or whatever would be the like-for-like like replacement, this is how much you would save, this is how much power you would save, this is how much that would save you over n number of years to do that replacement. Yep. Eventually, and I, and I think that's, that's very important because as, as time progresses, power is going to get more expensive. That That is just a fact. Um, I mean, just, you know, me alone, they've already raised my electric rates 15% yep. the last the last six months. And, so, if, and if you're in Europe, where they're, if you're not residential, if you're, if you were a, um, a business user, there were no caps uh, this last mm -hmm. winter. And the, the, those rates went up a lot more than 15%. Um, we'll just leave it at that. You're, you are exactly correct. The, those rates are gonna go up. The interesting thing, the way we're doing that is Cisco now has uh, a data source where we know based on where you are, what the grid rate is for you. So we now know not only what the grid rate is for you, we know what the carbon mix for that grid rate is, for that grid is. So we know how much carbon is produced by the grid. Now, we don't know if you have bought green power, i.e. through an alternate power provider or you're self-generating or whatever else. We don't know that. 
but at least based on your location, we know what the grid source for you is. So we can tell you based on your grid location, how much that power would have cost you and how much um, carbon you would be emitting for that. So that goes into that simulator for the AB. Now we take that same data source and we bring that to the what Usha was just telling you about for Nexus dashboard. And that's repeating on reporting on Nexus dashboard. So we can now tell you exactly how much carbon, if you're connected to grid as your prime power in your data center, we now tell you exactly how much carbon, how many trees, how many car miles, et cetera, you just emitted for your top of rack switches in cluster five over the last week. And so, that's, that's going to be reported in what, what tool? That's in Nexus Dashboard Insights. Okay. Nice. So literally, when you need to report an audit, you can just pull that report. And that report is there. Number of kilowatts, you know, down to the switch, down to the port, down to, you can pull that data out and say exactly what was the power and base. If you, if, unless you have done something different for your power, you can actually say how much carbon, et cetera, you, you emitted. Now, so that's what's on the truck today. What we announced and what will drop in December, we announced at Nexus Live, at Cisco Live, that was a Freudian slip, should be Nexus Live. Well, it was announced at Cisco Live uh, and will ship in December is in addition, we have started working with a couple of our uh, valued partners uh, like Panduit and Vertiv um, who make smart PDUs. And we will be adding other smart PDUs in the future. And we now have the ability to interrogate those smart PDUs from Nexus dashboard as well. Great. So now not just Cisco switches, Nexus switches, we can also interrogate the smart PDUs. And if the smart PDU gives us just the input power to the PDU, so rack level reporting, we can report that. If the smart PDU can give a circuit level output, i.e. outlet level power reporting, we will report that. You will not only get the switch level reporting, you will also get everything else in the rack if you have a supported PDU. So you will now be able to see outlet five or if, you know, the 5% of people who have actually appropriately labeled their PDUs uh, in the rack that outlet, they know what outlet five is connected to and it's correct. You know, you'll know what that is. That was served, that's the database server or whatever it might be that will show up as, you know, database, customer database server is using this much power. That will also be reported, that will also be tied back to the same data source of this much carbon was used last week, was emitted last week, it cost you this much amount, this amount of money. That will all be reported in the same pane of glass, the same reports. So that's coming in in December. So talking about the visibility, before we can solve problems, before we know how, what problems to address, we have to know where we are. And we have to know how we're getting better. So we need a baseline. We need a baseline, right? We need a baseline. And more importantly, if you're on the, some of the older equipment as well, you need to be able to see what are the low hanging fruit? Like, oh, <laughs> that switch cost me 14 watts per gigabit per second. And I can buy a switch that's 0.4 watts per gigabit per second that may be a no brainer to go replace that switch. And that's an immediate win for both me and Cisco, frankly, because Cisco has this, this 
uh, scope three target as well. Uh, right. But it's, you know, it's uh, everyone's to an advantage. It's to everyone's advantage. There's the refresh and there's the, okay, this is my new baseline. Now, what else can we do to start reducing power in the data center? So Chris, I'm interested in things from a slightly different angle. So working at another vendor that's that's had our own ESG reports and a lot of us digging into what we're doing and us trying to reduce our scope three emissions, I'm I'm really interested in your take on what is kind of the primary driving factor for this. Are you seeing more uptick and more uh, customers or partners or integrators that are looking at this where there are um, say the European area where people are actually running into either having absolutely uncapped uh, rate charges for what they're consuming or where they're now even talking about potentially having uh, allocations per company based on what it is that they're doing and what they're consuming. Or are you seeing this more from companies that are really just trying to drive their own efficiencies? Uh, and And kind of within that, are you seeing more adoption from the hyperscalers or are you seeing more adoption at like the enterprise and, and mid-market levels? I wouldn't even say it's high. So the hyperscalers will always do their own thing, right? The hyperscalers come up their own way of solving their capacity crunch problems. Uh, but yes, we're definitely seeing the hyperscalers are always sensitive to power and efficiencies, et cetera. And if you don't solve the problem, they will solve the problem for themselves. The low to mid-market the, the, the mid-tier markets are sensitive, but not as. Uh, I'm seeing a lot more activity in the not hyperscaler and not mid-market. So I you know, call it the top 100, top 500 enterprises kind of market. Uh, those are the folks who have the money to spend, who are concerned about both reputational and potentially regulatory risk. Uh, they're the ones who run their own data centers still and are probably the most exposed to, you know, uh, either power capping issues or direct costs of grid problems. So you go talk to them and it's like, I can't build out anymore in Northern Virginia because I don't have a substation and the next substation uh, is not coming online for four years and I can't get in. So I need to reduce power in what I've got so I can build more servers out in what I've got. Or I can't build into Amsterdam because I just can't. There's no more license there or there's no more license in Amsterdam or whatever else. Um, so for any number of reasons, you know, or I'm going to have to start reporting on ESG goals. Um, and at some point I'm worried about regulators you know, making sure I'm reporting correctly and I don't want to, you know, I need to, you know, I need to show actual good reporting numbers and I don't want regulatory risk there. You know, there's a number of drivers there, but I'm seeing the conversations where I've, the most interesting conversations has been with that, you know, the folks who are operating as service providers internally, but not at the hyperscale level, but they still operate as service providers internally. Um, so again, that, you know, top 100, you know, the big tech, the, the big finance, big tech, um, mm -hmm. I mean, big finance, you know, big pharma, you know, th th those kind of folks are the ones where we've been having probably the most interesting conversations around the space. Those are the ones who are, you know, looking at making potentially big plays on how do we take big bites out of infrastructure power usage. And I think that's probably 
you know, I'm not having, let's put it this way, I'm not having liquid cooling conversations. How do I liquid cool a data center with regional hospitals? You know, that's not where I'm having those conversations. I'm having those conversations with the big, big finance, guys. big fintech, that kind of big stuff. Guys, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, and I think to, to, to add to that, you know, besides operational excellence, uh, of course, you know, sustainable, um, you know, data centers, uh, I think data center networking customers are also looking for answers to manage their AI ML workloads mm -hmm. and building out, you know, monetizing the build outs of those generative AI models and applications that are increasingly distributed across, you know, on prem, colo, uh, cloud data centers. So I think, uh, and we did at Cisco Live also put out an AI ML blueprint for data center networking. And, and that has huge implications here in terms of uh, you know, uh, sustainable data centers uh, as well, looking at the type of topologies. In fact, Christopher and I were talking about, you know, the cyclical drivers such as technology uh, transitions, for example, from 100 gig to 400 gig to 800 gig and to the ebbs and flows in, in data traffic growth. So, um, you know, our, you know, low diameter topologies that are built uh, using high rated switches, that is the, you know, practical, approach oh. to implementing uh, data center networks for generative AI uh, use cases, especially for significant lower, significantly lower, um, you know, power consumption levels. And Christopher, I know we talked about silicon advances uh, as well as, you know, so packaging of optics, all of those kind of help um, right. you know, move, move this conversation forward. So, you know, so if we start talking, you know, going back and talking about, so the folks who are having specifically conversations about how do I substantially reduce where the conversation is led by power environment, et cetera, it's, it's normally scoped around how do I address my infrastructure, my data center, and that's led by those folks. However, when you start talking, it, it broadens out quite a bit, as Usha said, when you start talking about folks, I need to deal with AI ML workloads. I need to deal, I'm um, uh, a, a bank or whoever else, and I need large diameter leaves. I, I need to build out pods of 200 leaf switches. How am I going to do that going forward? Can I do that? And one of the drivers in there is I want to reduce the power of that network infrastructure. It's not the only thing driving that. You know, I have to do an AI ML infrastructure. I need to do 200 gig per switch and per server. I need to, you know, whatever that might be. One of the things I want to do is I want to get that as efficient as possible. Those conversations are to a much broader audience. And those, as Usha indicated, we have some stories there as well, right? So Cisco's got a very power efficient uh, set of silicon today uh, between silicon one and, and the, some of the latest cloud scale silicon. We have some very power efficient uh, silicon that we can bring to bear on this. Uh, we have a very good story around 400, 800 gig uh, that's very power efficient. Uh, some of the stories we've been doing, um, we have a very uh, interesting story with one of our partners uh, that does what's called a, a fiber shuffler, uh, which allows us to build uh, a very high radix leaf spine topology which allows you to build a 256 leaf, 100 gig to the server non-blocking infrastructure with nothing more than one U leaf and spine. 
it's using 400 gig spines or 800 gig spines and uh, 100, 400 gig uh, leaf switches uh, at a very low power point because you're not having to use uh, multi uh, silicon, uh, multi chip modular switches. Um, so it's a very low power, uh, cost effective way of, of building that uh, architecture out. And sort of similar model when you start talking about AIML, right? So there's some interesting ways you can do that. Um, that's a great, that's a great point. Cause, cause I mean, a lot of our customers are actually looking, um, to start building out these AI ML models, right? Because this is something that just happened literally overnight, almost, right? And Surprise, I'm here. Is, uh, <laughs> I mean, but what's kind of weird is it, it's, it's been there right all along. It's just all of a sudden it just got popular. It's like the popular kid came to school. Right. Um, but you know, and now they're coming to 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 us and and asking us, you know, well, hey, you know, what's your recommendation of architecture, right? So, you know, we're we're kind of scrambling as well, trying to come up with architectures on how to how to build this stuff out, and you know, power consumption is forefront in that, quite frankly. Um, you know, how do we cool this stuff off because it's you know it's it's going to get to the point where it's it's going to be supercomputers, right? It's not even going to be you know, UCS chassis is going to be, you know, true supercomputers, like you said, 800 gig fabrics, um, yep. and we're going to have to cool this stuff and, and report on it. So this is, you know, you guys are making great groundwork um, to be able to report to this. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to see what, you know, what's going to be next. The cooling is interesting. Uh, well, let's talk about the networking for a minute. So the cooling yeah. is interesting. I think the networking is going to be interesting because most folks building enterprise networking. How do I say this in a polite way? AIML to a certain degree is gonna be putting big boy pants on from a service provider standpoint, because this is this is pretty much going to be the, the massive overbooking of leaf spine topology, uh, where you have uh, congestion, where you build congestion from leaf to spine in, which is what we've normally done on leaf spine, is going to go away when we go to AI. Uh, we need pretty much non-blocking, or we, we need much closer to non-blocking, if not even speed up on the leaf spine. So the way we've been thinking, you know, all of a sudden people are going to need as much bandwidth going between the leaf and the spine as we do from the leaf down to the servers. And that's going to change people's mathematics um, kind of in interesting no ways. No oversubscription. You may even want speed up. And that's going to mean that that's when we start needing to talk about high radix environments, because otherwise you're going to spend, you know, you're going to have literally more ports in your spine than you do in your leaves. And so, yeah, it, people are going to need to rethink how they do this a little bit. That brings in storage implications too. So, so Joe, do you have uh, any, any thoughts around that at all about storage and you know, how storage is going to keep up with, with that kind of data rates. It's going to be interesting. A flash, right? But I mean, right. you know, the, you know, the, the actual, you know, connectivity, I mean, is going to probably have to be 400 gig at some point. Yeah. The, the, the push is for, you know, really just architecting well, you know, similar to what everybody has to do on the compute side, on the network side, it's putting the right gear that you have as close as possible to the right workloads, right? It's, it's, it's a similar story to um, what we've been doing forever. It's just that we've got 
much more finite uh, capabilities and, and resources for power connectivity and everything. And it's, it's to Chris's point, it's, it's absolutely putting the big boy pants on and it's no longer that like, well, we can just toss more performance at it and we'll fuzz over any bad architecture or um, <laughs> gaps that we have in here. Yeah. Know? Yeah. This is going to, this is going to be one that, that, that does. Yeah. This is an unforgiving environment. Uh, I think the interesting one talking to storage, and I'm not picking on storage because this is a physics problem. This is not a storage architecture problem. This is a physics problem. I think everyone is thinking that this is going to this is going to be liquid cooling's point of introduction is AIML, and that is correct because we need to cool these power hungry GPUs. But I think people think that they're going to be able to cool the GPUs, and that's going to solve the problem. I direct a chip. I'm going to stick a cold plate on the GPU and my problem is going to go away. And that is not the case. And I don't think that's going to be the case because I'll cool the GPU, um, but I'm gonna have a lot of storage and a lot of memory. And as we go to DDR5 and DDR6, and I go to PCIe Gen 5 and Gen 6 for my storage, and you can ask uh, Joe uh, from the storage vendor down here, as we go up in speed, the Serdezes get hotter, and all of a sudden, those PCI Gen 5 and Gen 6 parts become heat sources themselves. And all of a sudden, we're going to have hundreds and hundreds of watts of heat coming off of things that used to be not really all that hot. So we will have cooled the GPU, but we will still have as much heat coming off of now memory and storage that we had coming off of current generation CPUs, if not more, and we haven't solved the problem. Uh, we've just gotten rid of the excess heat. We still have the same amount of heat that we still have problems with today and all the power that goes into cooling them today. So um, as we make the GPUs very hot and we cool those, everything else is going to have to accelerate to feed those. And we have just reintroduced the heat problem just in the supporting infrastructure. And the problem with cooling those is there's a lot of them and making a cold plate that covers pretty much your entire motherboard is going to be really, really annoyingly expensive. Um, so this is going to be, we will need to liquid cool uh, at this point, but the form factor of that liquid cooling is going to probably be a, this is going to be a, um, a point that we will have some experimentation before, before we find the right form factor. And we probably will probably not end up on a direct to chip, just stick a cold plate on the GPU and call it done. We'll probably not be where we end up as an industry. And I'll leave it at that point, but I'm pretty sure we will probably end up dunking these things at some point before we're set. That's, that's what I had seen. I've seen some stuff about that already. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to end up dunking everything before we're all said and done here. I, uh, I think that's the only way. To really <laughs> that is, not, Cis, that is not Cisco's opinion. I'll be right up front. <laughs> that is not Cisco's opinion. That is my personal opinion. But when I've looked at all the other options, I've gone, ooh, ugly, ugly. Yeah. There, there are a bunch of ugly options. I think the dunking is the least ugly of the ugly options, but that's my personal. Yeah, I mean, otherwise, that's that's introducing liquid cooling in every chassis of every 
piece of equipment that you have in there to try and and somewhat keep with you know to your point on on having a cold plate for the entire motherboard yeah it's basically dunking, dunking's easier to get that efficiency point yeah, you know basically it's... you've got a motherboard and you've got an anti version of the motherboard and copper clamped down on top of it and you tell me how much mm -hmm. that's going to cost every time you change the motherboard <laughs> design you have to design a anti-motherboard that clamps down on yeah that's going to cost you more than everything on the motherboard that you're cooling i think probably so anyway that's my, again, my personal opinion. This is not Cisco's opinion. I want everyone to understand that on this call. But that is, uh, yeah, I, I, you heard that, you, you heard that here on, on, on August 15th as it was recorded. Um... <laughs> yeah, my personal opinion, I'd like to dunk some cookies in, a, in my cup of coffee right now. <laughs> I think I'd like to tie it back to the AIML story and, you know, bring it back to visibility again, where, you know, we talked about how Cisco 9, Nexus 9000, uh, our switches stream all of the relevant software and, you know, hardware telemetry uh, to keep up uh, with, you know, the network fabrics and keep them healthy. So the same thing when it comes to AIML networks, similar to how we have the insights around sustainability for AIML workloads as well, there are congestion insights or congestion hotspots and recommendations that are provided real time on the Nexus dashboards um, insights, um, you know, uh, service. And we can get a, a lot of detailed understanding um, at congestion, looking at our, uh, you know, trends and statistics and with like, you know, literally a simple one click uh, for congestion uh, can look at things like uh, ECN, you know, explicit uh, congestion notification in terms of, uh, you know, marked packets sent and received, uh, as well as uh, PFC, you know, priority for flow control. So all of this helps understand, you know, as well as, um, you know, interface utilization. Um, all of this kind of really helps us along with some automation templating on uh, Nexus dashboard fabric controller. And in the future, hopefully with, uh, you know, Ansible playbooks uh, as well. Uh, kind of uh, make you know our networks really optimized with that AIML blueprint uh, for data center networking. But, but all of this requires you know the newer generation uh, of Nexus uh, 9000 switches. And as uh, as Christopher mentioned earlier, we have a really strong refresh program that's I think over 20 21 years uh, you know strong, and we can take back. And we'll pick up equipment for free and make sure they're, you know, it's really 100% uh, responsibly remanufactured, you know, recycled, reused. So, um, and pick up some of our competitors' kit. There you go. <laughs> we actually did an episode on Cisco Refresh, so I'm going to make sure that we link to that in the in the show notes. And and based on what Usha said, I mean, we've got ECN, we've got a bunch of statistics. We'll tell you where mm -hmm. you've got problems. The thing as an X network operator. Um, that does not excuse for bad design. It's not going to save you from a bad design. It's going to save you from the corner cases. You know, the thing is, you still need to get your design right. Um, and then it's going to help you with the, the corner cases. They're still going to hit the microbursts, et cetera, right? So the, yeah. you still need to work and get your design right, Get make sure you've got your, your subscriptions right and your, 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 your over or non-over subscription. You, you still need to get all of that right, right? Because there's, there's no magic bullet here. So, you know, this is still, you need to think through your design carefully. 
Um, is, is that something? Is that something that you 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 guys are working on at Cisco? So we are. Yes, we have. Like, well, we have Cisco validated designs for this. There, Lucia, is that out yet, or is is that still in works, or is, have we got has TME got that out at this? Point? Yeah, definitely. We have the AIML blueprint for data center networking. We can uh, share. Is, is that it validated? Is, is it validated? Yeah. Is, it, is it validated at this point? Okay. Yeah. So it's out. We actually did an episode on that as well, so we'll make sure to link to yes. this. Yep. <laughs> so follow awesome. follow that or, you know, it, you don't necessarily, you know, we've got validated design, but you know, not saying it's the only way to do it, but is you can't just the the one thing I will will say, you know, you just can't sort of throw a bunch of switches together and then hope that ECN is going to save you. Um you need to, you know, you need to think through it or start with a validated design or understand what you're doing in what you need your network to do. But once you do that, things like ECN and everything will definitely help you through the, the those corner cases will help you with the, you know, the troublesome workloads, et cetera. Those tools are there to help you with those. You know, they're not going to save you from a, a very poor design in the, in the, in the interim. Uh, it, it should go without saying, but I'm saying it anyway. All right. I think, I think we had an amazing conversation. Christopher and Usha, is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to touch on really quickly before we close? I think the one thing I we didn't get to, and I think is I, I would like to touch on a little bit, okay. um, is there's another area uh, we touched on on cooling a little bit. Liquid cooling, liquid is a lot more interesting, a lot more efficient fluid to move heat than air, and we are seeing people actively now talking about using liquid uh to move heat around a data center and around a chassis around a data center etc rather than air it is stunningly more efficient you can within a rack you can save at least 15 percent uh power by using liquid if you convert a whole data center to use liquid you can maybe save 40 percent of the entire power to the data center by using liquid uh so it is a massive power savings there's another thing that people are starting to talk about, which is high power DC, high voltage DC into the data in the data center versus AC. It's a big change. Cisco's doing some work around this space as well. So that's another thing to think about. And again, it saves a bunch of transitions from AC to DC, DC to AC, voltage conversions, et cetera. So there's some things people have been are starting to talk about there as well. So that's something if you're interested, there's some stuff out there. All of the things that are interesting about this is. All of these also have resonance in smart buildings. Um, so these technologies also play, when you're starting to talk about, you're talking about seeing people talk about PoE to power your offices and other things, it's the same technologies. So when you hear about people talking about DC and data centers and liquid cooling in data centers, it's the same technologies they're talking about using for office buildings to power lights and desks and everything else. So when you hear about this, as a data center operator, it's the same technologies that you might be investing in elsewhere in your organization to achieve similar efficiencies elsewhere, which Cisco is also working on in those places as well. So all I'm saying is this is an ecosystem. Remember I said earlier, you can't solve this problem as points or you can't solve this as a network problem and a compute problem and a cooling problem and a power problem. Similarly, this is a systems problem across buildings and infrastructures, not just data centers, but it's also in buildings and, and uh, in office buildings and other things. 
everything's sort of coming together. It's using the same kind of technologies, not just in data centers. So as you're talking about this, maybe as a data center team, go compare notes with your facilities teams, potentially in other parts of your business. And you might find they're having the same conversations as well because the technologies are actually very, very similar. So that's, the, that's one takeaway is this is not now just a data center conversation that's happening. It's a conversation that's happening across a number of different industries right now. Remote sites, same conversations, right? It's so it's just something for you to keep in mind. This isn't a problem that's just being solved in data centers now. It's a problem that's being discussed in lots of different places. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to close. Thank you for those thoughts, Christopher. To our listeners, if you want to continue your learning on today's topic, check out the resources provided in the show notes below. And of course, this is your weekly reminder. You could subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to click on that subscribe or follow button now. Thank you for tuning in. See you next episode.